But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can someone preach to them unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Thanks, Laura. I always love that last verse. I I just get tempted to look at everyone's feet. Uh, It just seems, it's it's obviously a a Hebrew thing, uh, the whole idea of beautiful feet. Um, Does anyone here want to confess to having beautiful feet? No, maybe not. Anyway, anyway, that's sort of random introduction 101. Okay. Uh, as uh, Colin has been saying, we've been working through over the last couple of weeks and the next three, uh, really our, our vision series where we stop as a church and look at what it is that we should be doing. Uh, remind ourselves, go back to the core Uh, And as part of that, what we've done at a kind of a leadership level is we've worked out a new mission statement, which kind of crystallizes, it nails down the center, the core of what it is that we think we should be doing as a church. Okay, and here it is. Empowered by God's spirit, resting in his grace and for his glory, we make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ in fellowship with his people to bless a broken world. That is what we as a leadership group have worked out is this is what we should be on about. This is why we exist. This is why we are sending Colin off to start a new church uh, down at Woodcroft so we can do this even more. This is what sort of uh, provides the centre of our life together. And it provokes the question, well, how are we going to do that? And I've been introducing to you uh, five purposes that all start with the letter M. M. Very good. You you guys are good. Okay, and here they are. Magnification. We looked at last week. Uh, Magnification is that life of actually worshipping and glorifying and loving God 24-7. Magnification, mission that we're looking at today. Membership next week. Uh, maturity ministry Uh, and we had the privilege of meeting uh, Helen and Jeff who thankfully uh, said yes uh, to my request that they lead us in this area for next uh, for next year Uh, and Colin I think is going to raise up someone uh, with his leadership team for Woodcroft and you'll get to know them as well Uh, but this uh, these five M's are not mainly about ministry structures they're not just about who we put in particular roles they actually capture 
what we believe to be five key purposes of the Christian life. And so I asked you last week, what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your life in Christ to look like? And last week we saw that one of the purposes that God wants to see realized in our lives as individuals, but also in our lives as a church and churches, is that we are people who are growing more and more like Christ, rejoicing in his grace, seeing more of him, being like Isaiah, knowing both his holiness and power, but also his mercy and grace, so that we might be empowered to live the life for him. Although it is reflected in our structures, it's primarily about What kind of Christians do we want to be? What kind of a church do you want to belong to? And as we said, last week was all about magnification and it really captured in our first line. Empowered by God's spirit, resting in his grace for his glory. You could just say magnification. That's what that's on about. And now we're moving to our next phase, mission. Mission captures that next level about making disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is captured in our purpose statement. What's mission's purpose? We aim to motivate and equip God's people to share the gospel so that together we are seeing people saved as they respond to Jesus with repentance and faith. Do you want to be part of seeing people come from death to life? People come to see the wonder that is the Lord Jesus, his grace and mercy. Do you want to see people share the life that you have in Christ? It's extraordinary. That feeling when you see someone where all of a sudden Jesus becomes not just a name, not just an abstract concept, but they see Jesus for who he is and lives are transformed. Jeff commented, at 18 years of age, someone invites him, tells him of Jesus and his whole life changes. That happened for me at 13. Is that something that we want to be a part of? That we would want to see people come and join us as they come, as the Bible speaks, from death to life as they respond to Christ with repentance and faith. Well, that's what mission's about. We have to ask ourselves, is this just something we've made up? Because it starts with M. Or is it there in the Bible? Uh, And so we're going to explore this. We have four four uh, headings for us. So the simplicity of mission, motivation to mission, obstacles to mission, and Trinity Church and mission. So there we go. Let's go. Simplicity of mission. We are talking about something that is not rocket science. You might think of mission and it might think, whoa, that sounds like it's really hard. Okay, well, Lara read for us just exactly how simple it is. Verse 9, chapter 10 of the book of Romans, Paul writes, he says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That doesn't sound too hard, does it? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's pretty simple, isn't it? There in verse 9, declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's mission. It is a simple message. What does it mean to declare Jesus is Lord? It could mean simply that Jesus is a king, but it's actually bigger than that. In the Old Testament, there was a name for God. When Moses encounters, you remember back on Mount Sinai, you might know the story, where Moses, uh, who at that time is shepherding his father-in-law's flocks, uh, and he comes across a bush that is burning but not being consumed. And the Lord speaks to him from this burning yet not burning bush, uh, and he asks the Lord's name. And he gives him a name uh, which we would translate uh, literally, I am who I am. Okay, uh, it's the Hebrew word that we think is pronounced Yahweh. Uh, but in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish community viewed the name of the Lord as so holy that whenever they came across those, it was four letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Whenever they came across those four letters, they would su- substitute another word in there, which was the word Adonai, uh, which means Lord. Okay. And so what they would do is they would, every time they come across Yahweh, they would say, Lord. And so when we are saying Jesus is Lord, we're not saying Jesus is a king. We're saying Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That is what we're declaring. And this Jesus, we've just made a declaration about his origins. This Jesus is the Jesus who was, as Paul says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is the Jesus who was born in a shed in Bethlehem. This is the Jesus who lived and walked amongst his people, who performed miracles, who spoke God's words, who died on a cross and who rose again to life. This Jesus, everything he said and did was validated by his resurrection. So before Jesus went to the cross, on multiple times, the gospel writers record that he said, I will go to the cross and on the third day I will rise again. Now, you could try that yourself. You could go around to your friends and say, uh, three days after I you know, shuffle off this mortal coil, you'll see me again. And won't that be great? Um, I guarantee we're going to be disappointed. Okay? But Jesus did it. Jesus delivered on that promise, or the Father delivered on that promise for Jesus. The resurrection, the Bible tells us, is the validation of everything. That Christ said and did. This one who is Lord, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, God, who went to the cross, is shown to be exactly that by his resurrection from the dead. Paul says this in Romans 1. He speaks of Jesus 
through whom the spirit of holiness, he was appointed son of God or declared to be son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the message that we preach is a simple message. It's a message that God himself came amongst us, that he lived a perfect life that he died a death in our place and on the third day he rose from the dead. And that is the message we proclaim and that is the message that if it is received and believed, brings salvation. Because it is a simple message that is simply received. Back to verse 9. Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does it mean to declare with your mouth? Well, what Paul is talking about here is a confession of allegiance. Saying, this is my king. This is my ruler. I will not follow anyone else. Think about it. It's kind of like what the Bible talks about as repentance. What is repentance? Repentance as an idea is turning away from something. And turning to something else. And so you might remember uh, the words that are said at a baptism. Okay? So the minister will actually ask the person being baptized, or their parents and godparents, if it's a little person, uh, do you turn away from your sin, the devil, and all that is evil? You remember these words? And the person says, I turn away from them all. Okay? And then you ask, do you turn to Christ? I turn to Christ. You turn away, you turn towards. What is a declaration of allegiance to King Jesus? It is, I follow this king and no other king. It's kind of like getting married. If you've been married, you've made promises. Those promises to be faithful to one another until death do you part only really work if you make them to one person. Okay, you could try with your husband, your wife, and say, I'm going to be faithful to three or four different people. I don't think they're going to accept that. If you pretend that you can be faithful in your allegiance to more than one king, you're fooling yourself. That person gets executed as a traitor, doesn't they? You can only have one allegiance and declaring that Christ is Lord is saying Jesus is king of my life. What does it mean then? Let's go back uh, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He says with your heart you believe and are justified. This belief it's not just an academic idea. It is an actual living relationship. It is a relationship of trust. It is a relationship of reliance. It's actually building your life around the centrality of King Jesus. That is how that faith is seen. It's not ticking a box on a census. It's not saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's a historical figure. It is actually living your life depending upon him. With him as the foundation, his finished work as the foundation upon which you stand. 
And as I said before, the resurrection is the validation of everything that Christ said and did. Paul here talks in Romans 10 about justification, about being declared righteous. That's what that means, about being right with God. And this comes, Paul tells us, through faith. It is something that is freely given by God to us in response to us trusting in Christ. Now, this is the core of the Christian message. This is the centrality of what it is that we preach. This is what sets Christianity away from every other religion. Because we say it doesn't depend upon our actions. It doesn't depend upon our righteousness. That our righteousness is a free gift given by God. That is the message that we preach. It is received, not achieved. I know that I am right before God because of what Christ did. It is his righteousness that through faith becomes mine. It is my sin that he bore on the cross. We sang it. What you required, Jesus fulfilled. What you required, Jesus fulfilled. What was necessary for me to be righteous, Christ did it for me. That is what we preach. And what Jesus got is what I deserved. That's the great exchange. With our heart, we believe and are justified. We can't build our own righteousness. A bit earlier on in Romans 10, we didn't read this bit of the passage, but Paul's talking about the Jewish nation. And he says, I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. One of the uh, Anglican archbishops years and centuries ago said, uh, the more zealous you are if you're wrong, the worse it will be for you. Their zeal is not based on God. They did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They thought by being good enough, God would accept them. They did the religious thing. Maybe this is what we think we can do. I can live the moral life. I can do the religious thing. I can go to church. I can say my prayers. I can serve in ministries. I can build my own righteousness. No. King Jesus says it is a free gift that is received by faith. Maybe you're here today and you're checking out Christianity. And you're saying, well, I don't do the religious thing, but I'm a good person. Maybe it's personal morality for you. Maybe, maybe it's whatever. It's how you answer these questions. I am a good person because my life has meaning because what you put after that tells you what your gospel is, where you find your righteousness. 
Because what the gospel, what the Christian message tells me is I am a good person because Christ's righteousness is mine. My life has value because Christ died for me. Not because of my personal worth, but because of what I receive by faith. It is a simple message. It is simply received. So Paul then tells us that we've got to get out there and do it. Verse 14, how can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching? And how can someone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So why? Why are we going to send? Why are we going to speak? Why are we going to testify to Christ? I want to give you three reasons. Because of glory, because of love, and because of need. Because of glory, Mark stole my idea for my kids to, for his kids' talk. So you've got this already, so I'll go through this fast. But God is glorious. God is glorious. And if we see that, and that's magnification, isn't it? If we see what Isaiah saw, if we look at the gospel and we see the wonderful power and majesty and holiness and mercy and love of grace of God how can we not speak God is glorious and his glory is worthy to be declared you see a great movie if you're not selfish you go and say to your friends you've got to see this movie I love inflicting my movies on others Sometimes I think they're glorious, but you probably don't, but that's okay. But if you see, you know, maybe you're an AFL fan, okay, and you've gone to a game and one of your heroes has just climbed up over all these people and they're like 400 metres in the air and they're taking this incredible mark and you come back and what do you just want to say? Wow! Wow! There's a few over there. You go to the new restaurant and there's this incredible meal, relatively inexpensive. What do you want to do? You want to take your friends back there, don't you? You want to share it with others. That is the natural thing. How much more the glory of God. Because of glory and because of love. Not love for others, but love for Christ. We want to see him honoured. We want to obey his commands. What does he say in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples of all nations. But in John, he tells us that if we love him, we obey him. And because we love Christ, we want to obey him. Because we know how much we have been forgiven, we want to serve him. Remember the story, Jesus is having a meal at a Pharisee's house, a guy called Simon, uh, who's there. And uh, while Jesus is eating the meal, they used to recline on these sofas. Uh, This lady comes in behind him and uh, she starts weeping over his feet. And with her tears, she is washing his feet and then with her hair, 
she dries them. And uh, Simon the Pharisee looks at this woman and he condemns her and he condemns Jesus. If you knew what kind, if you knew what kind of a woman she was. Jesus knows what's going on here and he confronts Simon. And he tells a little story about two people forgiven debts. One who's forgiven a little bit, one who's forgiven an extraordinary debt. And he says, which of them will love the master more? Simon gets this one right. The one who is forgiven more. And the lady is held up as an example of someone who loves Christ because she sees just how much she has been forgiven. As we come to Christ, as we come to God, we see his holiness and his mercy. Do we see what we have been forgiven? Because as we do, as our magnification M is operating in our lives, we will actually overflow in obedience. We will declare Christ out of love for him. But not only out of love for him, There's a love for neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor, and there is a desperate need. The gospel is a gospel of salvation. And we have to actually ask, what does it mean to be saved? Salvation from what? Well, if we had time this morning, I'm not going to pretend to preach a whole series of sermons through Romans. Uh, Some of you might uh, be relieved about that this morning. It's good to do at another time. Um, But here we have, in Romans, Paul tells us that humanity is universally under the just condemnation of God. Whether you're a Jew, God's chosen people, or a Gentile, that's the rest of us, no one outside those limits, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are right under God's judgment. All of us have refused to acknowledge God as God. And we will face judgment. And none of us can be declared righteous. Paul says we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous. You might try and build your righteousness. Paul tells us you are not going to win that battle. You're not going to be able to stand before God and say, on the basis of what I have done, you should accept me. But the great message that we share is that on the basis of what Christ has done, he will accept us if we receive it. If we receive it. No one is righteous. And what does judgment lead to? Well, Paul, in a letter to another church in Thessalonica, says this, that he will punish those who do not know God and will not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. That's shut away from every good thing, all the blessings And the glory of his might. You think maybe Paul was cranky? Well, Jesus spoke about hell more than Paul. 
And as he spoke, he used images of fire, of darkness, of wailing and weeping. And the very clear message is, don't go there. And the great mission that we have is to tell people that they don't need to go there, even though they deserve to go there, even though I deserve to go there, even though you deserve to go there. By grace, because of what Christ did, salvation is possible. But what gets in the way? Well, we don't see these motivations. We get distracted, firstly, away from glory. We no longer see the wonder and the glory and the grace and the beauty of God. So often it's not that we doubt those things. It's just that other stuff gets in the way. Our lives are so busy. C.S. Lewis used an illustration in one of his letters where he talks about we are like children playing in the dirt in a slum when the gospel and God and our relationship with him is, is a holiday at the beach. We occupy our lives. We fill them up and we lose sight of the wonder of God. And so we forget. And so we don't speak. But not only do we get distracted away from glory, our loves, our loves get hijacked, get misdirected. We don't obey Jesus' command because we actually love something or someone more. We believe in our heart that it's seen in our lives that blessing and the good life and everything we want is found not in, not in obeying Jesus, but actually in pursuing something else. And so we look for acceptance, we look for approval, for comfort, for security through loving something else. And so we don't speak. Because if we did speak, it might set those things at risk. So maybe we reframe the gospel, we decrease the urgency, we undermine the need. We explain really why this is just a personal thing, it's just a Sunday thing. It's a, it's a, it's, I like religion, I like Christianity, you like something else, that's okay. We explain away the need. And that's our third obstacle. Sometimes we find it hard to believe that God will judge. People say, and I've heard it, oh, the God I believe in, he'd never do that. Just let me reflect on that with you. The God I believe in, he would never. What are you actually doing? Who's God in that situation? Well, you're God in that situation, aren't you? You're the one that's dictating how God should act. But the real God, the God of Scripture, Yahweh, He is a God of holiness and a God of grace, a God of power and might and a God of mercy. And if ever we think that God won't judge, go back to the cross and see where the judgment of God fell. 
If God won't judge, why did Christ die? If there were many roads that lead to the Father, why would Jesus pave that road with his blood? We misunderstand the need. We explain it away so we don't need to speak. But can I say, as a church and as individuals, if we are going to grow in Christ, if we are going to grow in his grace, in his likeness, we are going to be ambassadors for him. Which brings us to our last point. What does it mean? As Jeff and Helen are going to be leading us and someone else is going to be leading the Woodcroftians uh, in mission as we as a church and as individuals are getting involved more and more in seeing this purpose realised. Well, it means a few things. Let me just give you a brief overview. For us individually, can I say that if we are going to do this, it flows out of grace. That first M, magnification. Remember Isaiah, he sees the power and the holiness. He sees the grace and the mercy. And what is his response? Here am I, send me. That is what drives mission. That is what makes mission attractive. Because when people encounter people who have actually encountered God... That is compelling. Think about the person who shared Christ with you. We individually need to be a worshipping community. We need to be prayerful. We need to pray that God would give us not only a vision of his own glory, but a vision of our desperate need and how wonderfully he's answered that. And as we pray for ourselves, we pray that others might share. We need to be amazed by grace and prayerfully coming to God. And then we need to be equipped. We need to learn some skills, yes. But my observation is is that a brand new Christian who's amazed by the wonder and mercy and grace of God to them, they have no problem telling, telling people about Jesus, even though they haven't been through, you know, a two ways to live or a seven steps or a bridge to life or a whatever. They just think Jesus is the best and I have to tell you about him. Yes, equipping for mission is good. But the first two, magnification drives mission. And for us together, what's it mean? Well, it means as a church, we're going to continue to support some of the organisations that we've continued to support. Uh, Local, national, international, people like uh, Lauren, uh, the AFES crew uh, that are out there sharing Jesus on the campuses. We're going to continue to support them. We're going to be working uh, and supporting the City Bible Forum and some of the events that they run to reach the 10% of Adelaide's population that goes in and out of the CBD every day. We're going to continue to partner with CMS uh, to see Wim and Micah and their families uh, across in Cambodia and people spreading the gospel internationally. We're going to support Shana as she seeks to see the gospel, the Bible translated into the mother tongues, the heart languages of different tribes and nations and people. 
But we're also going to be a community that's going to try and become more and more outsider aware. I'm aware that on every Sunday, even when I know every single person here, there are people who need to hear the gospel. We need to be a community that is aware that we are a community of ambassadors. We need to think about how we speak, about how we welcome, about how we act within community. And we are going to do mission together. Christmas, Easter, life courses, other things. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, if we are going to grow together in Christ... We are going to see this purpose, I believe, increasingly worked out in our lives along with the other five. It's not, I like this one and I'll forget about the rest. It's actually all five working together. And as we do that, my prayer, our prayer, is that we'll grow more and more in Christ to be continued. I'm going to hand over to Karen, who's going to lead us now in prayer.